Welcome to CFO Insights. I'm Guy Hutchinson, one of the Startup CFO Group founders and the host of this podcast. In this episode, we are interviewing Mary Ann Moffat, who has most recently been CFO at leading fintech 10X. Mary Ann shares her insight on her career spanning pharma and banking, as well as more recently, early stage fintech. We explore her approach to establishing high-performing teams and really focusing on empowering decision-making throughout the finance department. Mary Ann's experiences included deep learnings in financial planning, and in this podcast, you might be surprised to learn what it takes to build a financial plan that meets the needs of your C-round as well as your auditor. Welcome, Mary Ann, to the podcast. Thanks, Guy. It's great to be here. We were having a chat just, I think, four or five weeks ago, and uh, I think I think you'd recently joined the Startup CFO group after an intro from Cooper Perry. And um, I was looking at your background, and you've got such an interesting background, uh, a number of years in financial services, and then your stint with 10X quite recently. And I just thought it'd be great to hear about your, your journey and learn a bit more about a startup life in fintech. Yeah, sure. That's, that's that's going to be a good discussion. So yes, I've had a, an interesting um, sort of past fifteen years or so. You know, I I, I graduated um, in maths from Imperial and then went to join um, Merck and Co. One of the large pharma companies. Qualified as an accountant with them, and then um, wanted to move into banking. Something I'd always slightly wanted to do, and it felt like it was now or never. Um, at that point. So I went to Barclays, joined Barclay Card as a financial analyst, went out to South Africa with Barclays as well, and uh, worked in their credit card division out in South Africa before taking a bit of a sabbatical and running a safari camp in Botswana uh, for oh, wow. a couple of years. Yeah, it's quite an amazing opportunity. Um, a lot of problem solving that yeah. I think I've most definitely used in you know other other parts of my career since then um and you know working with very different people and meeting lots of different people um so that was a great uh, a great um um interlude in my in, in my career as such uh went back to barclays did a few different roles in retail banking um and also set up their non-core division as head of fpna and spent uh, a year or so trying to exit as many things as possible um then hmm. moved to hsbc uh which um was was great started off as head of planning globally um which was at hundred thousand feet as you can imagine um dealing with 85 countries i think they were in at that point 300 entities or something at least that was what we planned for um, and then moved into the uh, more commercial business roles as a finance director for the trade and receivables finance business. Um, wow, amazing. Is- and, 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 and if you follow that story through, right, there's there's quite a lot of doing sort of big things in, in large corporates that maybe haven't been done before or improving how those processes work. You've got uh, this period of time where you are in Botswana do, doing something completely different but but probably getting a little bit of a sense as to what it might be like in a startup through all of the things that you would have had to have juggled and, and solved um but what what was the trigger for you to look at 10x and sort of think about hey look you know m- maybe now it's my time to be in a startup sure I think my last 
couple of years at HSBC, I led the finance, finance digitization strategy for the commercial bank. Um, so really started to see different ways of working, um, not just from a finance point of view, but spent a lot of time thinking about agile working, how can as a bank we move faster, um, was had exposure to things around some crypto discussions, um, some let's can we work four days a week discussions. Um, and I think that really piqued my interest into, I don't want to be in a big, slow organization that's a ship to turn. I want to be able to do something that, um, you know, you can you, you can move fast and, um, and, and get, get stuff done and have a real impact. And then uh, the opportunity at 10X came up um, at pretty much the right time to come and be CFO for a, a young company that was scaling and growing fast, building cloud-based core banking systems. So I took it. Nice. Very nice. It sounds like an amazing opportunity. Now, uh, I've, I've got a little bit of experience in fintech. And the, one of the things that I learned, and there was a lot to learn, to be honest, is a very um, demanding space, for sure, uh, is that, that, that fintech's not really one vertical, right? The consumer mm. fintechs are doing things that are somehow quite different from what the kind of B2B fintechs are doing. Like, how would you define uh, 10x and the type of uh, fintech technology that they're rolling out? Sure. So it's a technology company. It does purely business with banks um, and it builds the um, a cloud-based core banking system. So any bank um, that runs its systems, generally runs its systems um, on you know, very product-orientated um, uh, bespoke systems, at least big banks, at least. Um, and what 10X has done is that it's moved it put the focus very much on the customer, put the customer at the middle of that, and then built the product um, around it. And then it's the big banks are purchasing um, this uh, this solution. And so they can put their customers onto um, the core banking system. So it's so the customers are big banks that want to be more customer centric with their tech, and then they they license the technology from 10x. Is that right? Uh, exactly, they're, they're, they're big banks, so tier one, tier two banks, um, and then it's a SaaS-based business. Um, so it, it really is a, a, a service business, a software as a service. Wow, amazing. I can only imagine that uh, the investment in tech is big, that this is not something you can just you know cook up with a few hundred thousand pounds. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's a complex um, thing to build and to do, and you're working with um big demanding banks as well who want it their way um which can also just add the complexity significantly yes that dilemma where the customer uh, would like to take you off of your roadmap that's uh that's a great dilemma in all b2b businesses and you know particularly when you've got customers who are big and are used to getting things their way Absolutely. And and then when you've got a few customers pulling you in different directions as well, um, and it's it's really being true to yourself and your belief on this is what we need to do, um, and but also we can help deliver this for you and that for you. Um, it's, it's navigating that journey and making those relatively fast decisions. Um, when Particularly when banks don't make fast decisions, uh, they want you to make a fast decision. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think it through, Marianne, that's that that's really interesting. Your your career builds in this corporate world. 
and then suddenly you're looking to do something new and the opportunity comes up at 10x there must have been a big transition for you yes i think it was um and uh and, and it's only really looking back on it you realize you know some some of the big um, sort of transitions and, and differences there were, but I saw differences from almost the moment actually before I started. Um, you know, from interview to offer took less than a month. That never happens in a big bank. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it takes forever just to get agreement to hire anybody, let alone um, actually put an offer out. Um, you know, my laptop was delivered to me the week before I joined, uh, which may be really normal in a kind of startup scale up business but again in big banks it's not you know at hsbc i had team members that were waiting three or four weeks after their start date for a laptop so having a laptop immediately with access to every single thing i needed was just kind of slightly mind-blowing um i think the other thing is you know as, as i went through those first few weeks uh the realization really hit me that the buck stop with, stops with me for everything financial um it was you know my decision you know my my thoughts and i could just go and execute it i didn't have to go and get 100 people in finance saying yes to it um if it made sense to do we could change that process um and that was hugely empowering and I'd, I'd, I'd touched on that at times in some of my things at HSBC, um, but hadn't really appreciated how empowering that that, that really was. Um, and and I think that really also fed down in how I worked with my teams. You know, the more I was empowered, the more I actually empowered my team. Um, and I spent a lot of time coaching um particularly my directs, but to coaching my team in general about how for them to make a decision rather than for me to make a decision for them. Um, it really hit home when I was on holiday at the beginning of this year. And when I got back, my financial controller said to me, there was a decision that needed to be made. And she was kind of this close to sending me a message to ask me. And then she realized she could actually work out what she should do herself because she worked out, she knew exactly what questions I was going to ask her um, and therefore was able to come to the right conclusion. She did it and she made the right decision, did a great job. Um, and, you know, you look back on that and that's such a positive thing um, to, to have. Yeah, amazing. And, and, and that, that example that you made there where there's a lot of decisions that, that, that you need to make or somebody in your team needs to make and they're coming at you really quickly. And there's probably like a lot of things that are not either fully formed or maybe are a bit broken sort of coming at you that, that, that need to be resolved. How did you cope with that? Because that, that's a change in the workflow. Like you've just got a lot more decisions to make in a startup. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I thrived with it um, because I, I, I love just being able to see the new stuff. We've got to change this. This is how we did it previously, but we've got to make this decision because suddenly something's coming from us at a different angle. Um, and it, it, it really, I, I think I, I absolutely thrived and loved it um, and, and was able to, I, 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 I keep thousands of notes. I can't work without keeping notes. Um, and I kind of look back at some of my notebooks, particularly from the early days and sort of the different swim lanes I had with things that were going on um, because things were changing uh, fast and uh, you, you just had to make those decisions and, and, and knowing knowing what they were. So yeah, that was, that, that, that was really good. The other thing as well was then around, you know, some of the 
risks and, and controls that we had to manage uh, as, as well. Yeah, so so that that really is, uh, well, it's a feature of all businesses, but I think that there are so many things that can go wrong in any kind of fintech that you essentially have probably 20 times the controls that you'd have in a regular business. I mean, how did you go about sort of thinking about starting to layer those things in that, that you've probably seen before in places like HSBC, but but doing it in a manner where the business could 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 cope with the change and you weren't somehow putting restrictions in place or slowing things down? Yeah, I mean, fintech's a, um, a really interesting sort of space from that point of view. You know, obviously, financial services is highly regulated. Um, and those that come from a financial services background have just got that built into their DNA about risk and control. And then you've got this fascinating mix of a load of banking people who've got this built in, and then a load of tech people, startup experience who perhaps haven't got that built in. And so working really closely with kind of both groups to ensure that you've got the right level of control, but you're not building the bureaucracy that obviously banks and, and things really are well known for. Um, and, and so it's about thinking about what are the processes, what are the controls that are really needed, um, and breaking that down a bit more into, well, is that, you know, what's the right control, what's the main control, um, and, and building that in rather than kind of over-engineering it. Mm. And had you found that these things become an exercise in persuasion? It's almost, you know, part of the CFO as an operator is to be able to sort of translate the meaning of the absence of that control so that people can be persuaded that it just it just has to happen. You just need to find a way to get there. Definitely. At, at times, that's 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 definitely right. You, you, you've got to, you know, just just simple things like putting in controls about how much you're going to spend um, or, 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 or salaries and, and things like that. Um, and, and making sure that, you know, you can't just go and, you know, engage with um, a company and, and commit to three years of spend without really thinking about what you're doing um, and, and, and having that right um, sort of link through into finance. You know, in a big corporate, in a big bank, you kind of can't do it anyway because there's really structured bureaucratic processes um and so persuading people that you know there needs to be some kind of process some kind of control but we don't want to go down the sort of bureaucratic route um and and then putting in the tech that can really help um you know i put in a purchase order system and uh there was probably a bit of pushback on it at times um as, as we were as i sort of announced it said we're going to put it in and the day after it went in, one of the exec team rang me and goes, wow, it's amazing. It's so easy. I can approve it on my phone and I can see exactly what I'm going to spend. And uh, it just sort of shows that you can put this stuff in that really does actually add value to their life or to the business's life um, and makes their life better. Um, but it doesn't cost a load of money and you're not creating the bureaucracy. You're just putting the right controls in. Yeah, 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 fantastic. That 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 example actually. Uh, there are not many startups and scale-ups that, that that love having purchase order systems. Uh, so if, so if you can make that work and make that user friendly, it's amazing. Yeah, abs absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. And 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 I guess also for you, like when when you were in the these large financial institutions, you're not having to worry about. Uh, some of the sort of grimier elements of financial planning you you're probably running a planning team but you don't have a cash out scenario and runway and having to do this dovetail between 
having a financial plan that, that really tells the story about what the business can be in the future, but also tells the story about when you've got to go and raise again? Absolutely not. I mean, for a lot of my life in, 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 in corporate and in banks, you know, the planning was the P&L. Obviously, for a bank, you had the balance sheet because you had the assets, i.e. the lending and the um, deposit, so um, the liabilities. So, but, but, but your planning was very much those parts of the balance sheet and then the P&L, what, what the impact was. I touched a little bit on it in my, in, in my sort of time as head of planning at HSBC when I was looking at sort of the global view, but not to the extent that kind of had to from day dot at, at 10x i think you know knowing our cash position what our cash what our forecast was for the next two weeks what our forecast was for the next six months and what our forecast was for the next two years at any one time was completely critical and actually building a, a, a planning model um that brought uh, you know brought the PL, the balance sheet for the cash flow in um, was 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 really important, particularly as we were doing our series C raise as well. You know, having that that all linked together. And that certainly wasn't something that I'd, I'd experienced um, in, in my time at, 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 at sort of big banks. Um, you know, that all sat in Treasury. Treasury managed a lot of that rather than um, the kind of commercial CFO. Yeah, because that, that that piece around the CFO's role supporting funding rounds. I, I think that's one of the things that's truly unique about being in a startup or a scale-up is that you're almost certainly making losses. Those losses need to be funded. That means you've got to do a equity round prospectively every 18 to 24 months, depending on the cycle. I mean, what what was your sort of first experience of supporting a C round? Like, were, were there things that were new to you or things that you had to learn or adapt to? I mean, I think the, the planning was probably the the biggest part, you know, I, I look back on my career and I've spent a lot of time in financial planning and analysis roles. Um, but having that model that just linked all of it together was was absolutely critical. I, I remember um, the the Christmas that Boris cancelled. If I'm sure people remember it well in the. <laughs> 2020, and I basically spent most of that Christmas just playing with the financial model, improving how it completely links together the cash to the balance sheet to to the PL, having had lots of feedback from advisors um, and you know debating it with the um, other execs and the CEO and stuff. Um, and uh, so it was it was that you know making sure those those tweaks around it really worked, and then what was the what was the ARR? What was that coming out? How could we run those different scenarios um, to show different options around there and things? Um, so it was it was different, but to an extent, it was um, the kind of the planning stuff was just the modeling in Excel. Uh, I think a, a lot of the different, a lot of the new stuff also came into actually talking it through with the investors. Um, you know, I spent time on the phone with the investors um, as they were challenging our financial model. I'd never really had anybody challenging my financial model in the past. You know, my model and my forecast was my forecast that fed into a big process. Um, I had nobody really truly stress testing it. Mm, and that's a very different type of challenge too, isn't it? Because the thing that you shouldn't forget about the VCs is that they do look at lots of models and they know how to build those things themselves often. Uh, and so you're actually being held to quite a high standard by those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, why doesn't this link with that? Or what's that driver? And, you know, 
in hindsight, I probably would have built the model differently. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, and, you know, as people were pointing out, the you know, investor pointed out something that didn't link particularly well or the driver, it's like, yeah, you know, next time I'll make sure that driver really links in um, <laughs> that helps drive cost or, or helps drive revenue. Um, but actually, it was also really useful as well on then when we could uh, sort of do our going concern um and 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 using that kind of stress thinking of uh you know getting our going concern signed off by the auditors and actually using the approach i'd used um in big banks for stress testing we stressed the financials using the kind of the model we've got for, for series c we created a stress model and, and and then we're able to say well these are the actions we would take if we were under a stress scenario and that went down really well with the auditors as we were um you know going through signing off our accounts that's actually a really good point isn't it that's the first time that your world of financial planning and your world of reporting and audit really collide and you've got this going concern test that you need to evidence that you need to prove that under certain criteria under under those stress tests as you said uh, you'd still be able to trade through that window and the business would still be ongoing. Yeah, and it's documenting it as well. And it's very similar to what you build for a stress test in a bank. You have to document why you think it would react like that, what actions you would take, and therefore what the ending up sort of P&L and balance sheet look like. Um, so really approached it in the same way. And it, it, it sort of went down really well. Yeah, yeah, that's no, a great, uh, it's a great thing to have to go through. And I think actually, if we look at the Slack conversations that we have among the nine hundred members, uh, this is one of the topics that that always feels a little prickly. Like people are struggling with this piece where you've got to evidence this GC situation with an auditor, uh, and it feels uncomfortable, and you're being pushed a bit on your planning suddenly by somebody who mm. would ordinarily just be looking at your, you know, historic financials. Um, so it's always, um, it's always a a, a bit of a moment that people are having to go through i feel yeah. i think it's an, an, an a good learning for um for, for cfos as well because assuming you know some cfos will take their businesses through to um you know ipo and, and etc in, in the future you know, but when you get into that stage you've got to be able to um have a have a forecast that makes sense that can be challenged that you can share more widely okay at a very high level um but getting into that habit of being able to explain it and talk about it and explain the stresses on it i think it's really important yeah, no, no, I completely agree. And actually, Marianne, when you think it through, the one of the big differences with the fintech is that invariably you're not going to be able to tackle all the challenges with a small team like you might do in a more conventional startup business. Yeah. You're typically going to have quite quite decent size finance teams even quite early on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and how was your experience trying to get like the team optimized at ten x? So I think I, you know, I, I'd put my focus into looking at the process and systems and, and how all of that worked to then think about what was the people um, that were needed around it, particularly on the financial control side. And, and, and then on, on, on the FP&A side um, was actually, well, what, what do we need? What does the business need? Or what do I need to begin with to be able to talk to the business in, in the right way with the rights of information? And then what else does the business need from uh, 
from a partnering perspective. So I think thinking about what does that all look like to then come up with the right people. But that's only one part of it in my mind. The other part of it is once you've got what you think are the right people in the right shape, is how you continue to develop the team. And and that was certainly a learning for me, having been in a, a big bank where you know I could sit with people and talk about their next career move, which would be to go into you know this area over here or that area over there. And there were loads of opportunities working in a, a small um uh business uh compared to what i'd worked in previously and albeit probably a slightly larger team than than perhaps some startups have um but uh but, but you know really getting into well, what does development mean um for those teams and actually i think one of the benefits that people get for working in a startup and, and a scale up is that it's fast paced and things change so while your job title might stay the same for perhaps longer than it might if you were in a a, a big corporate what you're doing on a daily basis probably changes very very regularly and i really focused in on that with the team with the individuals on how we were you know really driving their development because they they were doing x y and z to begin with and now they were doing a b and c with a bit of z in in there because the needs of the business and the needs of um the company had changed and therefore we had to change things as we were moving forward. Um, and I found that really exciting and I loved doing that. And, and the team responded really well, that, that kind of approach as, as we sort of, as I coached and developed them. Yeah, fantastic. And, and, and it's nice to hear that that's something that you really enjoy doing, that, that, that you're very interested in, in the people in your team and helping them to cope with what is a, a bit more uncertainty and a few more problems to solve than they might have had in corporate life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me personally, having a great team is one of my sort of proudest moments. And, and, and I look back at my team at 10X, we had a fantastic team, but it can only be fantastic if you keep working at it and you keep working with them and you keep developing them. And, uh, you know, you kind of, you see how people have grown and changed and it it makes me smile and keeps me, um, you know, happy on on, on knowing uh, what, what they've done there. So it's, it's it, for me, it's, it's one of the biggest enjoyments of my job. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Amazing. Uh, so look, we could talk about um, fintechs and CFOing all day, I'm sure. But I think it'd be good to land on, um, finish up on one last question. So the one thing that we notice is that there's a lot of people wanting to join startup CFO who probably are not in a startup yet, right? They're probably still in corporate life. They might be working in a major bank a bit like you were five or six years ago. Uh, mm. And if those people were sort of entertaining the idea that they might have a career path a bit like yours one day, uh, what would you say is the, the, the kind of key criteria that helps people to succeed in these um, CFO and FD roles in early stage businesses? Yeah, I think problem solving and thinking outside the box is 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 one of the most important things. Um, and 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 being able to create something new. Um, and and if I if I look back at my experience both in in big corporates and 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 in um, in, in fintech, uh, you know that ability to be able to build up something new and to keep changing, I think, is really really important. Um, and 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 then understanding um the the commercial side and being that commercial partner and sounding board um is the other really critical thing yeah so you're kind of looking for somebody who's got a little bit of a track record of doing things that are novel doing things that are new and and seeing that they've got the commercial nous to make a difference 
Absolutely, yeah. BAU is not the place to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think we've got too many people in our group that love BAU, that's for sure. But uh, yeah. always, there's always some out there somewhere. It's okay. brilliant. Well, look, Marianne, it's been fantastic to have you on. I know you and I could talk about fintech for ages, but uh, it's been really great to hear about your amazing career journey and your time with 10x i know you've recently moved on from your role at 10x and you've got something exciting coming and i'm um, really looking forward to hearing about that thanks guy uh yes i've just joined um ramp as a cfo um which is a really incredible incredibly exciting time for ramp um they are a crypto-based company that uh, does on and, and off ramp from uh, fiat to crypto and, and vice versa. Um, loads to do, really exciting stuff and uh, looking forward to the next chapter in my fintech life. That sounds like an amazing opportunity, Marianne. I think we all know that huge things are going to happen where crypto meets fintech. Uh, so it sounds like an exciting role and congratulations on that. And of course, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Startup CFO podcast, CFO Insights. If what you've heard has piqued your interest, then you might find that you want to check out our website, startupcfo.tech. You can read all about our free membership for finance professionals in disruptive tech businesses and also check out some of our paid offerings covering the coaching for CFOs and also Exit Masterclass.